Amen. Thanks, Zach. You know, 2023 is um, the year that I'm trying to build a rhythm of seeing the good in every aspect of life. And today, for me, I'm trying to see the good in jet lag. So if you didn't know, I'm, I'm a little off 12 hours of time difference. But here, here's the good that I see in that, and here's why I'm grateful for jet lag. I wrote the sermon at like 2 in the morning in Bangkok, Thailand, as I couldn't go to sleep. So Hopefully the Spirit of the Lord can speak through that. If you have a Bible, grab that and meet me over in Daniel chapter 1. We're going to begin a new series through the book of Daniel today that's going to take us on in through the summer. Uh, and, and here's why we're doing that, because I don't think that there's any other book in the entire Bible that speaks to how to live in our culture more than the book of Daniel does. Here, here's the big idea for the entire book. Write this down. Believers need to learn how to live in Babylon without letting Babylon live in them. That, that's what the entire book of Daniel is about. What you are going to see is it's not only possible to live in culture without letting culture live in you, it's actually necessary. It, it's, it's the way that God builds his kingdom. If, if you think about Babylon, Babylon's not just a place, it's not just a country. In the Bible, it is the personification of all evil. It, it's actually... It, it, a picture of two kingdoms colliding against one another and going to war with one another. All the way throughout the Bible, Babylon, this place, represents culture, and it represents everything that the world has to offer, and it's at war with God's kingdom. What Daniel is going to show you is how you can not only thrive, survive, but thrive in the middle of a culture that doesn't look like you. Y'all, we might need to understand this more today than we ever have, because this might be the first time that any of us have experienced a life in this culture that's not driven by the church. Now, let me be clear here. I want to be really clear. America is not a Christian nation. It never has been. And, and, but what we do know is that all the way throughout our cultural history, we have been driven by the church. The church has driven what culture thinks and thinks about and does. And that's been the case for a long time. However, we're seeing a cultural shift uh, where the air that we breathe might no longer be that. Most research will tell you that the church, especially the church, and politics both, are not really trusted or respected institutions anymore. When I first started out in ministry 15 years ago, my profession was looked highly upon. I could walk out into society and tell people what I did for a living, and it would be a respected position in society. Not so much today. The book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is different than most other books in the Bible because it's not written from Jerusalem. It's actually written from the enemy territory. This is why Daniel gives us such great words, because he's writing to both of us, to all of us, within the culture that we live. Now, what you have to understand is this book takes place after a historical event that dates back to 586 B.C. where the nation of Israel, Judah, the southern nation, was deported into Babylon after a war. Th these words, they're not, just, they're not just from a guy who doesn't understand. They're from a guy who's sitting in the middle of an historical event. But like I told you already, it's more than a historical event. The Bible calls Babylon the personification of evil. If you actually jump down to verse 2, what you'll notice is the capital city is Shinar. And if you're familiar with Bible study, Shinar goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 11, where the event of the Tower of Babel happens. It, it, is, it is a picture of the degradation of all of society where evil takes place. 
What you need to know is that Babylon isn't just a place, but it's a picture of two kingdoms at war with one another. God's kingdom and the world's kingdom are at war. And the book of Daniel should leave you with two major questions. Here they are. Number one, will you bring God's kingdom down or will you let culture's kingdom rise? And number two, do you have the kind of faith that can thrive in Babylon? What you are going to see is that the majority of people in Judah were exiled to Babylon, just like Daniel, and just like you and I, the majority of us live in the middle of a secular culture. And the question that we had to ask ourselves is, do we have the faith to not only survive, but to thrive in Babylon? In the 1960s, this idea of the feminist movement in America started with a calculated attack on gender and sexuality in America. The the goal was to normalize sex without any of us realizing what was happening. Matter of fact, it was a pretty genius move that took generations to accomplish, not just weeks or months. The the movement started out by normalizing sex through advertising. They, they, They attacked the positional authority of the traditional family and ultimately they went after the moral high ground of the church. They, they started saying that dads weren't as important as what we know that they are. And they did this by desensitizing all of us to what's normal on TV and in print. See, the, the reason why this worked, the reason why this worked is because the cultural shift happened over decades and not just years. Y'all, you might be thinking that what we're experiencing in 2023 is new and out of left field. Like, what the heck is going on? All these things that we thought were normal are just showing up. Can I just tell you, that's not true. What has happened is over decades, it is a cultural desensitization to what's going on now. Y'all, Satan's playbook hasn't changed. And that's why we have to get some tools from God's playbook if we're going to live in this world. What Babylon did is exactly what you're going to see happens in culture today. It's a cultural assimilation that happens over a long period of time. And maybe, just maybe, you feel helpless recently. I know I do. I've got four kids and two two young girls who are about to walk into a next phase of life. And sometimes I just feel like I don't know what to do. Whether it be the next latest Disney movie or the cultural ideologies that say you can be anything you want to be. You can be a girl or a boy. And and we've made this normal. Sometimes I just want to put my head in the sand and just wait it out. But y'all, can I just tell you, that won't work. We have to be able to speak a better word and to live more attractive lives than what culture offers. Because here's the deal. Until we start to put better lives and more attractive homes into our culture, things will never change. It doesn't really matter how much you say. You can get a bullhorn and you can speak from a stage. That's not what's going to change culture. What's going to change culture is better marriages, happier families, jobs with integrity. See, Daniel didn't hide. He didn't isolate either. He lived in Babylon, and he lived a life that offered something better than what culture had to offer. Maybe, if you're honest, you're a bit confused. I mean, honestly, there's a fine line between love and acceptance, isn't there? And for most of us, we have not seen the church do a good job at this. We've done a terrible job of truth and grace. We've either completely assimilated and given in and lost all of our integrity of the Bible, or we just become absolute jerks. Neither one of those should be true. 
What you're going to see today, again, is that the same playbook that was being used in Babylon is the same playbook that's used today, but God wants to show you a better way. He's going to give you practical ways to not only survive, but to thrive in our culture. All right, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what it says. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, King Jehoiakim's story goes all the way back to 2 Kings 24. If you go and you read the kings, what you'll find is that the king of Judah was in a long line of successions of kings who slowly drifted away from following God. We're not going to go deep into his story, but I think that there is a parallel that I want you to take note of, and it's this. Normally, cultural assimilation happens slowly by taking little concessions of what you believe. It's not a huge thing, y'all. Most people don't have an affair because they woke up one day and they just decided, I want to have an affair. It starts off with little flirtations in the office, and, it, and it's little success, concessions of not having good boundaries and accountability in your life that ultimately leads to these things. I don't know anybody that wakes up in the morning and thinks, I just want to totally destroy my life today. Y'all, the degradation of culture didn't just happen. It was small concessions over a long period of time that makes these things happen. Now, I, I know, listen, I'm about to step on some people's toes, but let me, let me give you a quick example of what this looks like. And I hear it all the time. It was actually what I was taught. I didn't grow up in the church, but here's what I was taught. As a kid, I was taught, if you sign up to play a sport, you better be committed to that sport. Like, no matter what, you signed up, you have integrity, you're committed to it. So we're gonna go. We're gonna go to every practice, meet every ball game, do everything. And that's all good. But oftentimes, what I hear is this. Yeah, but we're tired, so we're going to sleep in on Sunday morning. Like, we're not going to go to church this morning, but we're tired. But you know what? We're not going to miss practice Sunday night. Y'all, do you realize that these small concessions that don't seem like a big deal communicate value to the people around us, especially our kids, that in the end, what we end up doing is we end up communicating to the people around us what's more important in our lives by the choices that we make. See, God, God had a people that he set out to be a nation that was supposed to be set apart. But these little concessions over a long period of time took a nation that was worshiping God and it destroyed it from the inside out. And it didn't just happen. Y'all, these big cultural markers like King David, King David who had Uriah killed and had an affair with Bathsheba, it did not start that way. Do you realize that, right? King David's story started by him taking another wife when he knew that God had commanded him to marital fidelity. That paved the way for him to make the concessions that would ultimately ruin his family and would ultimately ruin the nation of Israel. His son Solomon, the one who prayed for wisdom, ended up making the same exact mistakes, had 300 wives. He took vengeance into his own hands and had people killed. And over and over again, what you found is that they slowly walked away from God to the point in which they had a civil war. And then they ultimately were deported to Babylon. Here's what I know. The thing that is going to take you out is never how it started. Y'all, a mighty oak tree started as an acorn. And for most of us, the question that you have to ask yourself, here's the question that I was asked, and I think it's a really important one. If in the next year or two you have a major downfall in your life, what's going to take you out? Think about it. Put it in your head. Is it going to be pride? An affair? Is it going to be misappropriation of money? Now, once you, once you have that in your head, here's what you've got to do. 
you've got to walk backward, and you have to figure out what are the small concessions that lead there. Can I just tell you? Let, Let me just tell you, for me, for me, it's that I don't travel alone, ever. I don't travel alone, and I never sleep in a hotel room by myself, ever. You know why? Because I know what's going to take me out, and I put up good systems and guardrails to never let those things happen. It's small investments that keep you in a position to where you don't make those concessions. King Jehoiakim followed the ways of the kings before him, and he stopped following the Lord. Listen to me. You will never be able to follow Jesus and follow the culture at the same exact time. You are going to have to choose. King Jehoiakim chose culture, and it destroyed the people around him. And the choices that you and I make have an impact that are far greater than what you will ever, ever imagine. The sins that you have don't just impact you. They have a ripple effect that have, that have consequences for all of society. Verse 2. And the Lord, one of the saddest verses in the Bible, gave Jehoiakim. You, you realize at some point God is going to just give you over to the thing that you want the most. The Lord gave Jehoiakim. By the way, I, this isn't in my notes, but I think this is just really important. Think about I often hear, like, how can God send people to hell? Here's what it is. C.S. Lewis gave the best illustration I've ever seen. He said, God will spend your entire life saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. At some point, God's going to love you enough to say, that's really what you want. That's really what you want. I'll just take it. Yo, that's, that's what it looks like. It's little concessions where God chases after you and chases after you and chases after you. And at some point, like he did with King Jehoiakim, at some point he's like, man, if you really don't want me. If you really are going to spend your entire life saying, get away from me, at some point he's like, okay, okay. And King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he gave into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar. By the way, again, this is modern-day Iraq. This, this, this is the, the site of the Tower of Babel, where all of, all of mankind, it was the epicenter of all of mankind's downfall, to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among them were Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah of the, of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. When the Babylonians, they invaded Israel, they deported the young people because they wanted to culturally assimilate them. Y'all, cultural assimilation is the greatest form of genocide. Because what they're trying to do is little by little, they're trying to completely change who you are until the point in which your people no longer have an identity. Notice that they educated them. They gave them different food for their laws that required them not to eat those things. They gave them a new name. And most scholars will tell you that they even made them eunuchs so they couldn't pass down their bloodline anymore. They literally cut them off. That was my pun at 2 o'clock in the morning in Thailand. The king wanted to indoctrinate them. He took the brightest minds. Listen to me. This is so important. 
He took the brightest minds in that generation because he knew that if he could change that generation, he would destroy the next. Y'all, that's how it all starts. It's a subtle shift of calling a group of people out of their context to something new. So they'll say things like, maybe you've heard this, like we're more enlightened by these things, right? There's a better way of thinking and living. And, and eventually you get a new name. Back in those times in ancient Hebrew history, your name was your identity. Doesn't that sound familiar? You get a new identity. You can create whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see three things that God is always doing in the midst of culture. Here's number one. God has the entire thing rigged. What you have to understand, just like God was working through the history of Israel and the choices that they made to bring them to a place to where they would be deported, God isn't surprised by what you and I are living in or where we are. He's not surprised by our culture. You know, historically, the church has always been at its best when culture and the church aren't married to each other. Think about it. Every single state-run church in the history of the world has been an absolute disaster. The Church of England, the Roman Catholic Church, cultural Christianity. You, you, if you really think about it, cultural Christianity doesn't work. Listen, when the church and America get together and have a baby, do you know what you get? You get culture, not Jesus. While I'm on my soapbox, let me just tell you, when the church and the White House get together and have a baby, you get politics. You don't get the church. And it absolutely destroys us. I'm telling you, when the church has all of its luxuries in the world, and it might make your life easy, but you lose the potency and the power to speak back into culture. Let me say it like this. When the church looks and acts just like culture, you have nothing to offer the culture whenever the culture overpromises and underdelivers on this life. When they leave people empty and you look just like them, what can you say? God has called us to be a counterculture. Like what if it was in God's kindness that he has positioned the church to live right in the middle of culture to speak into it? I've told you this before. Back in the day, D Dustin gave me a book um, on the, the evangelism of the early church. You know what the whole book was? You can save yourself a thousand pages. They didn't have a strategy. They just lived as a counterculture. They loved well. They, they, they served the people around them. They intersected their life with the things they were already doing. And at the end of the day, what they did is they spoke into the darkest places. Do you know where light shines the, dark, the brightest? In the darkest places. Do you know where God's people thrive? In Babylon. God has sent the nation of Israel into Babylon, not for their cultural conformity, but so that they could be a light in a dark place. Y'all, we've got to stop retreating and start embracing the fact that maybe, just maybe, God has sent us here. You know, when we were trying to name this church, we, we went to a text in the scripture that I teach on every year, Jeremiah 29. And in Jeremiah 29, it's a parallel passage to Daniel chapter 1. God tells the nation of Israel, I sent you into Babylon. I sent you into exile. Think about that. He says, for the rest of your life, I've sent you there. Why? So you can build houses there and live there and multiply there. So you can seek the peace of the city that I sent you. And as you seek its welfare, you will find your welfare in it. Do you not realize that as we create human flourishing in our city, everything gets better? As we show people that it looks better to live here, listen, there is no peace on this earth apart from Jesus. You have everything necessary, and you have everything that the world needs. The whole thing is rigged. Here's number two. God wants to do a new thing. 
God wants to do a new thing. Not only does God have the whole thing rigged, I actually believe that he's building a new rhythm of renewal into the world. And he wants to use the church to do it. You know, just like Daniel, it was a beautiful resistance that gave him the opportunity to speak back into culture. Listen, Daniel wasn't a jerk. You know, I say that because a lot of us, we know the right things to say, but we're kind of just jerks about it. And I think Daniel had every opportunity, and he would have been justified in being mad. Daniel didn't live in isolation either. He was super respectful of the king, but the key was he served his God, and he trusted his God more than the king. Here's what I know. God wants to do a new thing, and he wants to use us to do it. I know that because that's the story of the Bible. That's the story of history. God has always positioned his church and his people to speak back into darkness. Watch this. When culture and the church are the same, the lines are blurry. When they divide, you know what's really clear? The lines of who's in and who's out, and that's when you can speak the most. Let me give you a couple practical ways that me and you can start to live in Babylon and let God use us in doing it. I'm going to list these A, B, and C. Here's, the, here's letter A. Know who you are. Know who you are. Check out verse 8. Daniel resolved, that's a key word, that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Daniel resolved not to defile himself because he had confidence in who he was. By the way, that, that word resolved means he decided. Daniel made a conscious decision that he was going to follow God and not the king. Y'all, you don't just fall into following Jesus. You, you get that, right? You have to be resolved to do it. See, for Daniel, this would have been his first test. And if we're honest, it's a pretty annoying test. I'm sitting here thinking, man, that's just food. Like, just go eat the food, man. Every parent in this room understands how annoying it is when your kids won't eat the food that you made for them, right? My wife will cook all day long, and then for some reason, my kids don't like anything that day, like including pizza. Matter of fact, my seven-year-old daughter just decided last week or two weeks ago that she was going to be a vegetarian. And I, I kind of commend her for it. She's like, Daddy, the, 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 the animals, like we can't eat animals. By the way, she, Chick-fil-A chicken doesn't count in her mind. And I was like, isn't that chicken? She's like, yeah, but that's different. Y'all, I was in Southeast Asia this week, and sometimes I'm like, Peter, you're picking the wrong fight. Like you over here messing with us. Do you know how they kill chickens in Southeast Asia? They pluck these things while they're still alive. Chicken's like flopping around on the ground, and we're over here. I'm videotaping it because I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then they pick up this chicken that's flopping around on the ground and throw it in boiling water. I wouldn't. I'd be a vegetarian too if I was her. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, by the way, that's a true story. It might have been an annoying request, but here's what you need to understand. Slaves don't make requests. Daniel's a slave. And it normally doesn't go well when you make requests. Here's what gave Daniel the ability to make a request like that, write it down. I'm going to explain it to you. Who before do? Who before do? Daniel knew who he was before he did anything. For many of us, we've flipped the order of that. We become strategic. We try to create tactics and solutions. But we don't have the resources because we don't know who we are. Hey, listen, internal qualities produce external conviction. Not the other way around. Daniel knew who he was in God before he was ever willing to risk anything to resist the king. And because he knew who he was, he didn't have to change his identity or conform to culture. Do you notice that Daniel never takes the name that the king gave him? Daniel's name, Peltshazzar, 
Bel is their false god. It, it literally means my false god will protect me. That's what Belshazzar means. Daniel's name, by the way, in Hebrew means God is my judge. Daniel knew that God was his judge and that God was bigger and better than anything that Nebuchadnezzar could ever do to him. So he doesn't take the name of the king. He doesn't change his identity. But y'all, this is what culture always does. They want you to change your name. And if you don't have confidence in who you are, listen to me, you're going to let them do it. Too many of us aren't willing to take a stand or create a counterculture. Well, because we don't really have a firm grasp of who we are in Christ. Do you know who you are? Do you? Do you have an internal resolve and a confidence in who God has made you to be so that when your reputation is on the line, you will have the courage to stand with God and do whatever you need to do? Mark Sayers, he's an Australian pastor and he's a cultural thinker. And um, as I was walking through the airport in Southeast Asia this week, I was listening to a podcast. And listen to what he said. He, he, He said this, the greatest risk of the next generation, listen, really important, is that we're teaching our children to be celebrities, not leaders. You know, a study was done recently, and here's what they, they asked American kids, and they asked Chinese kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? The American kids, bar none, said that they wanted to be influencers when they grew up. The Chinese kids said they wanted to be astronauts. Y'all, we might have a problem. He, he said this, he said, leaders understand and leaders understand that criticism and disappointments are just a part of the job. Celebrities just want to be liked, so they give in. And he said, what we're trying to teach our kids right now is to be celebrities, not leaders. Here's what I know. The only way that we are ever going to take a stand in our culture is when we know that Jesus is better than our culture. When we know that he has something better to offer us. Do you know that the life that you have in Jesus is better than anything that this world has to offer you? Yo, you will never, ever ever have the conviction to stand with Jesus if you think that culture has something better to offer you. I was always taught that God's rules, God's laws are restrictive. But you know what? The longer I live and the more I do this, what I know is that God's rules and God's laws are free. They create the box for me to have freedom in. When I walk outside of that, it's like, and I've told you this, C.S. Lewis says, it's like a fish that jumps out of water. Like, it might seem freer to get out of the tank, but once you jump out of the water, you can't survive because, well, because God designed you for something. And the more you walk in that, the better off you are. The reason why Daniel could speak back into culture is because he knew who he was before he ever did anything. Here's letter B. Be under control. Be under control. You know, part of knowing who you are is knowing who God is. The famous A.W. Tozer quote, right? What you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Let me just ask you, do you have a big view of God or do you have a small view of God? Like, can God actually change culture or not? That's the real question. Do you believe that God can do it? If God is sovereign over everything, then you don't have to be in control. You you know, the, the Greek word for anxiety is to be pulled and stretched in every direction at the same time. Earlier, we, we sing the song, like, if God clothed the lilies. You know where that comes from? Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is looking out and he's saying, hey, why are you anxious? You see the lilies of the field, how God arrayed them in such beauty. Don't you think he loves you more than them? How about the sparrows, the birds of the air? They don't toil They don't think about their next meal. God provides it for them. Then he says this. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. 
for tomorrow will have trouble in itself. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, and the rest of that stuff I'll take care of. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm in control. And because I'm in control, so can you be. Like, you don't have to be out of control because I'm in control. Don't be yanked in every direction by everything going on. What the world needs more than anything right now is a calm confidence in the sovereignty of God, and they need to see it through you. They need to see us being proactive, not reactive. They need to see us being prayerful, not fearful. Watch what Daniel does. Verse 8, therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to not defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor. Oh, underline that. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. You see it? Daniel trusted because he knew who he was, and then he acted on faith, which is letter C. Got to act on your faith. For Daniel, his faith wasn't theoretical. It was active. He had a relationship with God. He walked with God, and he prayed continually with God. By the way, because he had a relationship with God, he didn't have to pray every time something came up that was clear about what God wanted him to do. Daniel knew that God had a specific way that he wanted him to live, and he had to act in it. Let me just tell you, you know, you don't have to pray to follow Jesus and what's clear in Scripture. You get that, right? Like, you don't need to pray if you should watch that show on Netflix. Y'all, filling your mind with that junk is just going to slowly, slowly conform you to culture, and you know it. What you fill your mind with, ultimately, is what you will worship. Y'all, I see it all the time. I see it all the time. When God's people live as a counterculture inside of the places and spaces that God put us, we become the most attractive people on the planet. You can be under control when you act on your faith. You'll have opportunities to speak into your neighbor's lives whenever their lives start to fall apart. For some of you, here's how God's got the whole thing rigged. Some of you are going to be sitting inside of boardrooms with the most influential people on the planet. And watch this. And your company is going to pay for you to get on an airplane and fly across the world to sit in those rooms. And God wants to use you to be a counterculture in those places. we got somebody in this room right now that's about to head to Saudi Arabia to a place I would never be able to go. And they are going to sit in a boardroom and their company is paying for the whole thing. You can't tell me that God doesn't have this whole thing rigged. What we have to do is we have to see that God is intersecting the entire thing. He wants to use you, and we have to step into that space and act on faith. Y'all, acting in faith is really simple, too. Here's what it means. It means looking where God is already active in your life and in the world, and you putting yourself in those places. Like, God already has something, and he wants to use you. It means being humble about how you do it. Listen. Daniel was humble in his resistance. He understood that God placed him there, and he chose to let God use him. Why why do I say that? Because for many of us, how we say something is just as important as what we actually say. I've heard it said like this. You can be right and completely wrong in the way that you're right, and you're just wrong. Y'all, for many of you, and and honestly, I've been here too, is we're just jerks about it. And we're not loving people well, and we don't give ourselves the opportunity to speak because even though we're right, blasting somebody is never going to work. Here's another way we've got to act on our faith. We need to lean into our prayer life. Prayer 
is the most humbling thing you can do because it is your way of submitting to God and saying, God, I need you to do it. We need to act on our prayer life. You know, you might not have the resources to change this world, but God does. And God unleashes his power through prayer. Look at the Bible. Read it. You see it all the time. When you pray, God bends his ear towards you. Think about that. The God of the universe, the sovereign one who created everything, delights in hearing from you. And as you pray, God bends culture towards him. I've asked you this before. If God answered every prayer you prayed in the last week, would anybody's lives be different but yours? If you know that God will change the world through your prayers, why don't we pray more? Like, what if God is waiting on you to ask before he changes culture? But so many people I know, they sit back and they're like, God, where are you? Like, why aren't you doing anything? Sometimes I think God's up in heaven being like, I was going to ask you the same question. Like, you're sitting back passively. Why don't you just do something? Seriously. Seriously, what if the thing that is keeping God from moving is our persistent, bold prayers to ask him to move and then truly believe that he's going to do it? Here's number three. Know who you fear. Know who you fear. Look at verse 10. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, here it is, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were of worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Honestly, the most important question you might ask yourself is this, is who do you fear more? Do you fear the king of culture or do you fear the king of kings more? Because y'all, at the end of the day, that, that question that we wrestle with really will determine what you do. For some of us, we, we have a massive fear of man. We want to be liked so badly that we're willing to do anything, leverage anything, just to be liked. For others of us, honestly, we have a fear of getting exposed, don't we? Like, you feel like your faith isn't enough, and if you really do act out your faith, you're just going to be exposed as the fraud that you are. You're going to be a hypocrite. Can I just tell you, we're all hypocrites. I mean, Jesus said he came for sinners. He was a hospital for the sick, not a place for perfect people. There's nobody perfect in here. None of us really have the faith that we think that we do anyway. The thing that made Daniel do what he did is he had a fear for God. And, and fear in the Bible is a double-edged sword. It, it, one side of that is this awe and reverence. Daniel had an awe or a reverence for the bigness of God, and that put a fear, if you will, an awe in him that made him become a worshiper. Daniel was able to do what he did because he loved God more than he loved anything that this world had to offer. Now, fear on the other side has, a, has really a sense of fear. It's that fear that you felt in middle school whenever you got caught cheating on the test and you didn't want to go home and, and, and face the music with daddy, right? There's a, there's a healthy bit of fear that kept you in line. You know, here's, here's the thing, though, that we know is that that kind of fear might change behavioral modification, but it will never do heart transformation. Heart transformation comes in awe of a bigness of God. Just, just this week, I'm in Southeast Asia, and I'm sitting down with a girl who um, converted from Islam to Christianity. And, and, and she did this in a place to where you have to understand it's illegal to do that. We're, we're sitting down talking. She's homeless at this point, and she... She begins to tell us a story about how, how she was writing notes in her Bible and her family found the Bible. Uh, and because of that, they do this thing called a futwa, which is a, it's an honor killing to where if you convert, you, you have a chance to 
reconvert back to Islam, or they can kill you. She, she's sitting down, she's telling us this story with tears in her eyes, and she tells me that her family confronts her about her Christianity, and, um, and, and they start these deconversion processes where they bring the imam in, and they bring these witch doctors in, and, and, and it's this long period of a couple days of intense reconversion to Islam, and at the end of it, the imam looks at her and says, okay, now you know who Allah is, are you ready, are you feel better? And she says, I feel really good. And the, uh, the imam's like, yes. He's proud of himself. And she says, you know, I have a greater joy in Jesus now than I did even before we started this because I know that your God cannot touch me. Like, my God is so much bigger. And if you kill me, it's going to be okay because I believe that my God is better than anything that this false religion has to offer. He said the imam stormed out of the room and her brother went and grabbed a knife and started sharpening it in the backyard to finish off the killing. And her mom grabbed her by the wrist and said, you need to leave right now. And she left with nothing but clothes on her back, sitting in this other city, and she's telling us, I don't regret any of it because I believe that God is for me. Y'all, it's that kind of fear of God that creates heart transformation. You see, you can thrive in Babylon when you know who you fear. Like Daniel, when you know the goodness of God, it really doesn't matter where you live or what's going on because you serve him. And as you serve him, you can love the people around you. I need you to get the full weight of what's going on in Daniel's life. Daniel watched his people get murdered. He watched his home get desecrated, and now he's been deported to another country, to an evil king who hates him, hates his people, and is trying to create genocide on everybody. He gives him a new name to whitewash his identity. And all through this, knowing the cost, he chooses to fear his king instead of culture. Y'all, for some of you, like you've sacrificed stuff to walk with Jesus, but if, and I don't want to minimize this, but if we're honest, sacrifices we make, like sacrificing the sketchy stuff we watch on TV or being called a bigot because we believe in the biblical fidelity of marriage, it's really not that big of a deal. The question we just have to ask ourselves is, are we willing, are we willing to sacrifice our reputation because we love Jesus more? See, we, more than anybody, need to be a people that fear God more than we fear culture. And if we will do that, I'm telling you, God will change the world. You don't have to get up and speak what you believe. You just live it. And as you do that, and I don't want you to take this lightly, but as you do that, God will change the world. Listen, even the eunuch had a lot on the line. He said, bro, if I do this, my head's going to be on the line. If this goes wrong, my life is on the line. Why should I let you do that? You know why? Here, here's, here's what I love. It's because kings don't normally change their position, but God. Through this, God makes all things possible. Y'all, this should have never happened. It should have never happened. The, the, the king should never change his position, and yet God shows him favor. See, he moves, God moves kings and kingdoms when you and I are willing to walk in faithfulness. There's absolutely no way that shouldn't have happened but God. Let me just ask you again, what areas of your life do you need to trust God with? What are those areas in your life that you feel like there's absolutely no way that this could change but God? Is it your job? Like, do you fear your boss so much that you don't understand how to create good, healthy boundaries so that you can have a rhythm of life with your family and your spouse? Can I, listen, men, more than anybody, I think you need to hear this. Your wife does not care how much money you make and how successful you are if you do it at the expense of loving your kids and loving her. 
You, you might think that you're providing, and you are monetarily, but I'm just telling you, I've been doing this long enough to know that she would give all of that just to have you out. Where are the boundaries? Is it your social media presence? Like for some of us, we're so worried about getting canceled that we say anything just to be liked, which maybe, is it your friendships? Do you care more about being liked than you do about being accountable and speaking lives into one another? You know, you may not think that it's a lot, but I'm telling you, it's little concessions that lead to major shifts in your life. I'm convinced that a lot of us aren't seeing God move. Well, because, honestly, we don't walk by faith. We conform to the culture around us, and we just think it's not that big of a deal. One of the things that you need to notice is that God moves as Daniel moved. God responds to Daniel's faith. He moves, as, he moves the eunuch as Daniel acts in faith. I've told you this before. You can write it down. God unleashes his miracles as we exercise our faith. It's true of every miracle in the Bible. God moves as he responds to your faith. Too many of us are sitting back idly waiting on God to move, and God's like, I'm waiting on you. If you will just trust me, if you will just move, you can't even imagine what I would do through you. Verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. By the way, a lot of you, don't, don't use this as like some next Daniel fast of, of the beautiful way, like get the essential oils, sprinkle them everywhere because God's going to do something. You know, that's not even the point of this. For them, it was the only food that they could eat that wasn't defiled by the king. But it, it, just so you know, the Israelites ate meat. So that wasn't the point. It wasn't like they were all going to become vegetarians. What was the point is this. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were a better appearance and fatter in flesh. So if you're trying to go on a diet, that's their fatter in flesh. than all the other youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and he gave them vegetables. Here's a principle that's true consistently throughout the Bible. Those who honor God, God tends to honor. Now, don't, don't, don't let that shift because that can become prosperity gospel. That's not what I'm saying. You'll see later on in the book of Daniel, they honor God and they still suffer. But I'm just telling you, most of the time, the majority of time, it's a true statement, it's a truism. If you honor God in your marriage by biblical fidelity, you tend to be happier, have great, better kids who like you than if you don't. If you stand up for Jesus, if you walk in humility with him, if you, you tend to live a healthier life, a longer life, and you, and you tend to stay out of trouble. Hey, let, let me give you an application from this text. Hey, write this down. You'll never make a difference if you aren't willing to be different. You'll never make a difference if you aren't willing to be different. That's a key principle. If you want to change the world, you have to be different from the world, right? Daniel had a, he had to be bold enough to not conform to the culture that was designed to make him conform. Listen, if you look exactly like everybody else around you, you're never going to be able to speak back in and critique the glaring holes of the culture around you. Like, do you realize this? You can live in Babylon without letting Babylon live in you. That's what God wants. He wants God's people to be a counterculture in the culture of which you live. We aren't supposed to be some holy huddle that isolates ourselves. 
We're supposed to be sent into the enemy territory to become a better culture, a better kingdom. God sent Daniel and his friends into Babylon so that they would change the world from the inside out. The reason why you didn't just go straight to heaven the moment that you became a Christian, the reason why he didn't just tractor beam you up is because he wants to use you to go back into culture to show culture that there is something better. God sent Daniel and his friends into Babylon to change the world. What you are going to see in a couple weeks, listen, is God used Daniel to even take the evil king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who would have been more evil than anybody you can even imagine. He'd have been like Hitler times 10. And that guy would humble himself and worship God. Like, can you even put it into your minds that God can take the most evil people on this planet and bring them to a place of humility and trust in him? Y'all, God wants to use you to make a difference in the world, but you will never make a difference if you aren't willing to be different. Here's my thing. Here's my question. Do you think God can do it today? If you don't have the faith to think he can do it today, you'll never see him move. Verse 17, let me wrap this up. As these four youths, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skills in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. I love that. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Here's the point. It was three years from Daniel 1 to Daniel 1.21. Three years. And the thing that made them different is how they lived in Babylon. Write this down. If you want to change culture, you need to be a contributor. Now, D- Daniel had to learn skills. He applied those skills and wisdom, and because of that, he lived for a better kingdom, and it said that his kingdom flourished. You know, God sent all of us here to create human flourishing. We, we, we tend to make the mistake. We tend to make the mistake that we're either going to go all in with culture or we're going to completely retreat from culture, and both of those are wrong. God wants you to live in the world without being of the world. He wants you to contribute to human flourishing, to be a blessing. Y'all, you don't have to become a pastor to make a difference. Matter of fact, I would tell you, if you do that, you position yourself to make the least amount of contribution. What you need to do is you need to see that God has equipped all of us to live differently in the culture, to leverage your life to do that. So like, and I I wrote this before I knew it hit the news cycle, so bear with me. But like, if you're going to be a police officer, just be a great police officer. Live with integrity. What what the culture needs more than anything is they need to see that there's a better way. If you're going to be a mom, be a mom that learns how to love your kids well and have self-control. And trust me, i got four kids. It's not easy to love them, to learn how to apologize and ask for forgiveness. Do you know how many people I know that they tell me their parents never told them they were sorry? If you're going to be a businessman, don't undercut people to make more profit. You get the point? Like God uses your skills and he wants to take your skills to change the world. It's about intersecting. Intersect your life with the things you're already doing and do it with gospel intentionality. Like what if we actually believe God could use all of us in this kingdom? He doesn't just want you to bring them to church. He wants you to go be the church. Like Daniel, there had to be a bold resistance to culture. 
And do you know what would happen if we do that? God would change the world. Church, you are God's plan A. You are God's plan A. And God has always wanted to do the battle from the inside. Here's the way you do it. You let your life, you let your life and the rules of your life and the decisions you make be guided by the Bible, not battle. And if you'll do that, if you'll do that, what you'll see is that God will change the world from the inside out. City Church, City Church, God has already done everything necessary to save us. He sent Jesus to live in Babylon, to live your perfect life, to die your death, to give you a better kingdom. And he wants to unleash you into the world to do the same thing. The way you'll do it is to live like Daniel, to live in Babylon without letting Babylon live in you. And God will change the world. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. God, I know these are tough, tough things. I know it's not easy to live in our culture. But God, we believe that you love this world. For you so loved the world that you sent your son. Help us to live in this world the way that you would. Help us to love the places around us. Help us to be a counterculture to show the world that there is a better kingdom. There is a more loving way. There is a better way to live. One that satisfies the soul at its deepest level. Help us to do that, I pray in Jesus' name.